Welcome to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. I am Dr. John, the guide for your heroic journey towards greater health, success, and most importantly, happiness. And now, on with the show. Hey everybody, this is Dr. John and a quick PSA regarding my new virtual men's group that meets on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Pacific time. There's only a few spots left, but I thought you might want to know about it. It's a quick, easy, and cheap way to work with me. And maybe some of you have a career. Maybe you've made some money. Maybe you have a reputation for yourself at work. But maybe what you lack is things like happiness or purpose, a fulfilling relationship or a healthy sex life, the passion, happiness, and ease that you once had with your spouse, an emotion other than numbness, disconnection, or irritability. This group is for men who are trying to be values-driven, interested in lifelong learning, and curious about how to become the best possible versions of themselves. The group is not for men who want to remain in the comfort zone while sitting at home watching TV. So again, group meets weekly, Wednesday, 7 p.m. It's only $95 per session, and you can call 510-863-0057 for more details. That's 510-863-0057. And now, on with the show. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. John back with another episode of the Evolved Cave Band podcast. And today, I am thrilled to have with me Dr. Elise Cortez, because she is the chief purpose officer at Elise Cortez and Associates, a management consulting firm specializing in the activation of meaning and purpose. She's also an inspirational speaker, social scientist, and those two do not go hand in hand very often. So I'm quite <laughs> impressed. She is an author and host of the Working on Purpose radio show. She is the author of several books, including Purpose Ignited, How Inspiring Leaders Unleash Passion and Elevate Cause, and The Great Revitalization, How Activating Meaning and Purpose Can Radically Enliven Your Business. Having developed her expertise within the human capital slash organizational excellence industry over the last 25 years, she has focused on helping companies, leaders, and individuals across the globe to live with gusto and make the most of their one precious life. Today, Dr. Cortez is focused on enabling organizations to lead from purpose and create cultures that inspire impassioned performance, meaningful engagement, and fulfillment. Elise, welcome. How are you? Dr. John, I'm great. I'm with you. How bad could it be? Yeah. Well, and please call me John. There, you know. <laughs> okay, John it is. <laughs> there you go. So tell me, tell me your story and how you kind of got to this point in your life. Because the whole topic of meaning and purpose just thrills me. Hmm. First, let me give you a, a, a kudo. Uh, great. I mean, probably the best introduction I've ever had anybody actually reading my bio. That was just totally you are a radio man. Um, so let's just <laughs> start you. there. Okay. And that's half blind. Right. I, I'm just very impressed. Very impressed. <laughs> Thank um, you. So, so the, this whole, uh, this trek to the meaning and purpose route, you know, um, in the red book you see behind me, that's the Passionately Striving and Why book. That's a collection of stories from 25 women from around the world who share how they discovered their purpose and are now serving from it. So I, I categorize those stories by their path to purpose. So one known path to purpose is the one that I found myself on, and that's what has ailed you in life? Mm. That in the pursuit of trying to address that ailing, that you have discovered a way to help other people. So that was, that's my path. So what, what happened was, John, was <laughs> I grew up in a small town in Oregon, but in my mid-20s, I found myself in this remarkable life. I was, I was 26 years old. I was living in um, Madrid, Spain, and then later Brazil, Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, for a total of about three years with my then boyfriend. And I had this remarkable life. We were literally traveling all over these continents, and I spoke and still do speak Spanish and Portuguese. And, and I, in, in Brazil, I had a live-in maid a chauffeur, a gardener, and I, I just traveled and studied. And you would think that's a pretty good life, wouldn't you? Well, it sounds bereft of meaning. It, well, that was what I discovered was um, this whole thing of just consuming life actually doesn't work very well for we humans who are wired to serve. Yeah. So that's where it began, John, is I, I just found myself in this vat of emptiness and I wanted to matter. I wanted to make a difference. What was I going to do with my one precious life, but just simply consume and enjoy so that's where it really began. And then from there, I just I started, I just kept studying. And my, my jam has been studying. And 
um, eventually did my PhD in human development and, 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 and researched meaning and work and identity. So that just, and you know how it goes, right? Once you step on that next lily pad, the next one available is, you know, that's, you just do that. And I call it from, you know, your internal divining rod tells you where to go next. And one foot after the other, I just kept following more meaning. And then when I discovered these 15 modes of engagement through my research, one of them was living your purpose. People that actually live life living their purpose. This is what they do. There's no separation from person, work, entity. And that's where I'm, I'm at today. I'm trying to help other organizations and, and individuals do the same thing. So it was this journey of really, I would call it an unfoldment, an ongoing unfoldment. Well, that's awesome. Thank you for the explanation. Um, yeah, so let's define our terms a little bit here. So, and I know you have a distinction between meaning and purpose. So what is meaning to you? How do you explain that to others? Because for those that don't have it, it's, it's vague and nebulous. Mm-hmm. That's a great question. It seems question. almost impossible. Yeah, and it, it gets conflated with purpose all the time. So yes, mm-hmm. one other important distinction about my background, my my preparation is I'm also an organizational logotherapist. So that's a Viktor Frankl's work in existential mm-hmm. psychology. And so my way of looking at meaning is very much crafted through the lens of logotherapy. So uh, according to logotherapy and my perspective on the matter of meaning, Meaning is really that which com- is what is compelling to us. What do we find significant? So it, it always aligns with what we value. So, uh, so for example, I value ongoing learning and development. So getting the opportunity to be able to do this kind of work is meaningful to me. Somebody else could go, ick, gross, I hate learning. Therefore, it wouldn't be meaningful to them. They val- Maybe they value achievement, accomplishments, maybe a great sales job would be meaningful for them, right? So we that's meaning is really that which compels us and that we find significant. So then if we take it and boil it down a little bit more deeper, it gets really interesting from logotherapy. Um, there's three sources of meaning. First, let me back up and say, according to logotherapy, humankind's main concern in life is finding meaning. So that's the that's the ultimate motivator. And that's why the more we the more we can find meaning, the more motivated we are. So through the logotherapeutic lens, we have three sources of meaning. There's that which we, what we give of ourselves to the world, we call our creative contributions that only we can give. And I call that passion. So the more that we can, we can pursue our passions and give ourselves to over to our passions, the more energy and vitality we have. That's why meaning is so compelling. The second path is, uh, the second source, I should say, is those experiences and encounters that are meaningful to us. I call that inspiration. This moment with you, for me, is a matter of inspiration. I get to have this moment with you. Um, That's compelling and meaningful. And then the third source is really the attitudinal stance that we take, that we choose to take whenever life throws at us, whatever it does. And I call that mindset. So we always have a choice in how we choose to respond. So when we get present to those three sources, John, and we work to actively engage them daily we we have we have that vital source of meaning and that vitality that most of us crave great explanation it makes me as you're talking about the attitudinal and the mindset it makes me think of i went through a kind of a eye emergency a week ago and one of my eyes doesn't work very well to begin with and this was with my good eye and so now i'm kind of struggling with vision and one of the things I did when my first eye kind of went downhill was trying to figure out what am I supposed to learn here yeah. and how do I apply meaning to this? And, and what I did was looked into mythology and found that Odin had actually sacrificed his right eye at the tree of life in exchange for wisdom. So I'm, I'm sacrificing some literal vision and what's this new type of vision that I'm supposed to develop or acquire hmm. or what am I not seeing and how can I see differently? Excuse me. You know, what's great about that is, so you could have chosen more of a victim stance, like, oh my gosh, woe is me. I mean, I need my eyes, right? I mean, what's going on here? Why is well, this I happening to me? I did that for, you know, a few hours. Oh, okay, okay. That, <laughs> and that passed. Okay, good. Just to and be it, completely transparent. Okay, good, good, good. Then you're normal. Um, yeah. Okay, so, but but that's, excuse me, that's the, that's the opportunity, though, is to decide how we're going to respond to this and what's there for us to see. And that's exactly why this meaning stuff is so, so critical. And how it differs from from purpose. So purpose is, I don't know if you wanted to talk about that next. Please, but I do. If, if we're gonna if we're gonna contrast the terms, so meaning really is leads you to what what is significant to you. It, it is that is what is what what grabs your attention. What 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 you find compelling. Purpose and your your meaning can lead you to your purpose. But purpose is the reason you exist. 
and how you can actually serve other people. Purpose is always about serving other people. And the way what, what you find meaningful might actually lead you to your purpose. Um, but your purpose is really that which which is why you're here on the planet and who who and why you're serving some other entity. Can I jump in there? Because one of the yeah. things, like you mentioned, meaning is based on values yes. to an extent. And yes. I've thought a lot about this in terms of, you know, because I, I lead a lot of clients through sort of values work to figure out what their top three, four, five values are. Mm-hmm. And I found I have a bias. And, <laughs> and the bias is, I, I mean, like, while wealth, power, fame, those can all be values, I don't think they lead to much happiness. And, and so I've kind of come to the conclusion that the value of serving others in whatever form that is, seems to me to be one of the preeminent values, because I do believe that's one of the best ways to get to a happier, more meaningful life. Mm. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, this is so yummy. Um, gosh, this <laughs> is actually my lunchtime too. So this is just a yummy conversation. Uh, first, kudos for even recognizing that you have bias because we all do. You know, none of us get an escape from it knowing that we do is part of the part of the opportunity. Um, so first, um, you know, having a bias around w- wealth and fame or away from that, maybe you don't prize them as much wealth and fame. Um, you know, and it would all it would it would absolutely depend on how that was used. So as a contrast, I was I spoke on a uh, at a conference about a year and a half ago, and the woman on the next stage over belted out to the crowd. My purpose is to double my income. And I wanted to barf. That's not a purpose. That's a goal. That's a self-serving goal. Yeah. Purpose is always about serving other people, right? So it would be, you know, so fame could be meaningful to someone because maybe they feel a lack in their lives. They didn't feel like they were significant before. So it is meaningful for them to have fame. Um, if there was a, if we were try to try to find purpose in that, maybe it would be to help inspire others to realize their dreams, right? That would be a way to be able to utilize that that meaning motivation. But if it's just to be the person on stage and glorified, it wouldn't be purpose. Yeah. It would just be meaningful. I, I mean, I've seen so many, I guess, life trajectories in the work that I've done over 30 years where, and I mostly work with men, but you know, these men that I, I seem to that find their way to me have over-focused on wealth, fame, power, mm. and mm-hmm. not so much fame, but wealth and power generally, you know, doing well at work. And then they get to the age of, I don't know, 45, 50, 55. And many of them get highly depressed mm-hmm. because they realize that while they've been a success at work, their life is devoid of meaning. Yes. Yes. Do you notice any like developmentally developmental trajectories like that in terms of meaning? Mm. Like that Gosh. it becomes more important at stages in life than others. Yeah. So maybe it's is, harder to find when we're younger and easier to find when we're older. Well, so I'm I'm schooled in lifespan development psychology, which says that there are some predictable stages that we tend to go through in life. And of course, you know, when we're younger, we're trying to get our get established and learn how to make money, et cetera, and then yeah. maybe have a family and then all those sort of things that society tells us to do. And, and certainly men that are 45, 50, 55, they've been very much schooled in that mentality. And, you know, from my vantage point as a social scientist, men have been conditioned and encouraged to pursue those things to feel to be seen as attractive and desired and, you know, to get the best mates, all that sort of a thing. Yeah. So how can we fault them for those choices? Because we encouraged it and we asked them to do that. And I actually find that that's a terrible burden for men to have to carry. It, yeah, um, I agree. It, it really I, is. I think you're right. I think that's how we're socialized. I think that's what's expected of us. But I think it lead, leaves us often empty at a certain point in our lives. Uh, no question. And so the opportunity is to kind of become salmon, swim upstream a little bit here and push back on what society is telling us. Um, so literally, I was just listening to this. This is a good example. And I'm not I'm not conflating these two things. But as I was coming to meet you, I was listening to NPR and they were talking about um, transgender as an as a an issue in, in the United States that is polarized. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, gosh, you know, talk about swimming upstream. You know, if somebody is born one gender and they really identify with the other, that is really that is an example of really having to swim upstream to be able to be true to yourself. So, you know, what I'm really aware of and and really you and I have talked about this before, I mean, I'm I'm divorced in part because I chose to really pursue that which is important to me. 
and and that's this meeting and purpose stuff. And it was it was not what something that that my my husband really cared about. So being true to myself meant that I had to swim upstream and do things a little bit differently. And I think that's true for anybody, men or women. Um, and I also think that generationally, the younger generations are just getting it better. They're they're not willing to do things that are not meaningful. Mm-hmm. So what I in the work that I'm doing with organizations, you know, soon the majority of the workforce will be Gen Y and Gen Zs. And they generally will not do meaning, meaningless work. They won't do work that they don't find meaningful and they don't want to work for an organization that has not somehow got a purpose that they can align with. So it's already starting to happen. So generationally, you know, I think we're starting to cleanse ourselves of this, you know, just do what society says because it's, you know, it's going to make you successful kind of thing. So I, I think we're heading in the right direction. But in the meantime, you have a lot of work to do, my friend, because there's a lot of people in need out there who get to this age and they're they're like, what is this all about? Why did I do all this? Well, it's interesting to me because, you know, I, I talk about the man box and how we're socialized as men growing up and, you know, all these beliefs that we acquire and what it means to be a real man. And I think it's a bullshit story that we're, we're fed and we buy into it. And, you know, I think we buy into it with the best of intentions. And yet it's interesting to me that that very story, the way in which we're socialized also can deprive us of meaning. Absolutely. It's it's so true. And so this is so great, John. Just this morning, I had a conversation with my 20-year-old daughter who's in college. She's studying psychology like me. And um, anyway, she's really interested in fitness and she spends three hours at the gym. She is a buff girl. She really cares about nutrition, et cetera. And she said to me this morning, she said, I want to have a conversation with you and, and Papa about my interest. I've been approached again by this man at the gym to do, you know, really more like bodybuilding training. Are you on board with that? And I said, um, why wouldn't I be? And and she said, well, you know, I don't know. I thought maybe you had a concern about it. I said, no, I don't. As long as you're not doing, you know, taking steroids and things like that. Um, what I told her, I said, if you think about that, this is compelling to you. You spend three hours a day of your life at the gym working on yourself. There's something about this that's calling you, that's important to you. So I told her, I said, pursue that which matters to you. It may actually lead you to your purpose. Maybe you won't be in counseling. Maybe you'll be in you know, some kind of a health or a fitness field and your psych degree informs that. Or maybe you end up serving people you know, in counseling who are, are athletes and they need to work on their mindset to be successful and um, gratified by what they're doing. Who knows? But the point is, if we can, more of us, John, could learn to just early as we can pursue what matters to us and know that we can make a difference, that we can actually serve then we, I think we get out of that, that societal rut that tells us to, to go get a job that makes a lot of money. And it's just, it inter, intervenes and interrupts the path. It, it strikes me that that concern with external validation that we often have at younger ages really gets in the way of us listening to ourselves, our intuition mm-hmm. to pursue meaning. You know, right. if I'm really concerned about what you think about what I'm doing, right? then I can, I don't know, rely on that or listen to it, overweight it, and disregard the things that I'm really interested in. It's so true. You know, it's so true. Um, I got to tell you this. This is, you know, who can I tell this to but you um, <laughs> and whoever else might be listening to the show. But uh, there's that. But I have to tell you, this is so interesting. Speaking of really, you know, pursuing what's important to you. So, you know, I'm single. And of course, I'm, you know, I'm, 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 date, I'm dating and, and open to meet people. Well, I meet this, this man online and his he talks about being working on purpose. And I'm like, oh, you've got my attention. Yes. That's, that's my Instant jam. connection. You know, right there, you've whatever you say next is probably going to be, you know, I'm going to be open-minded to it. Anyway, um, turns out, you know, this is a man who is working inside a, a nonprofit and he is helping to educate people that are in jail in a program to prepare them to come back into civilized, you know, civilian life, if you will. Awesome. And um, so we talked that you and I are talking on a Friday. He and I spoke for the first time on Tuesday. He goes, this is going to sound really crazy, but I've already found, you know, I've already found you online. I know what you do. Would you be willing to come and speak to the people in my program mm-hmm. in jail here in Dallas? I said, when? He said, tomorrow. I said, okay. So John, I go in to, I've never been, never spoken in a jail. This is the first time I've ever done this. I went through the whole process. <laughs> <Moving on> up. <laughs> I'm just saying, but can I tell you what a great first date that was though? Because here we are, both of us are focused on helping and empowering other people, different populations, but he gets to see me and my element, my shine. And I get yeah. to see him doing something that he cares about. 
that was a pretty awesome first date having dinner tonight, yeah. by the way. Sounds so, like a turn on. Isn't it though? Right. So what if we, what if we, more of us did something like that? We were, and I asked the crowd, John, I asked, these are people that are, you know, in jail for anywhere for a, a, a few weeks to four years. And I asked them, you know, back on, what are you passionate about? And, and, and some people would say, um, helping kids, serving kids. I said, well, they need you. So you've got a motivation to get out of here so you can go serve that, that passion and be a, and matter in the world. So if we could compel more people to really pay attention to, early what do you care about what's compelling you how can you help if you, we can do that john we really can change the world yeah i agree and let me ask you this and i know you're not the you know spokesperson for all women out there who are dating <laughs> but i'm gonna put that i, I did cue that up anyway. though didn't i yes i did cue <laughs> that up but i've heard and you know i've been out there dating myself and um i've heard that women and this question is aimed at the single men that are listening. <laughs> I've heard that women really find it attractive when they find a man who has meaning, purpose, mission. Well, would you say I, that's true? It's. Uh, I think it's probably true for a lot of women. To your point, I'm not the spokesperson for all, but um, it certainly is for me. And 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 thinking about it, the, 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 what's behind that thinking is. To me, that indicates a person who who has exercised agency in their life to be able to situate themselves to pursue that. Yeah. And I have to, I will readily admit that uh, I have passed on people who told me in their they're in their fifties they they hate their work. And the reason for that is because one, I don't want to hear about what how awful your day is every day, and two is why can't you exercise agency to go then find something that does turn you on? Why do you stay in that? But right? Lise, I'm a victim. I'm trapped in my life. Uh, yeah, but I need the paycheck that comes with it. You know, I, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And and I, I imagine there's women out there that are looking for you know financial security, and I I can't fault that. Um, and I don't mean that to be sexist. I think men can do that too. Um, mm -hmm. But I just think that you know if you are out there dating, I think knowing yourself well enough to know what your mission, purpose, meaning, what those are is incredibly sexy i think it is too and i will also tell you it's pretty unique hmm. yeah do you have any idea on the percentages of people that know what their meaning and purpose are Ooh, that's a good question i can i can sort of guesstimate just from the audiences that i've spoken okay. to so i i often i usually speak i don't know for four to six times a month to different groups. And I love to talk about grab your gust to live with passion, work and purpose. That's my signature talk. And, um, you know, in that talk, I go through the three sources of meaning. And then I share, you know, what's my, what's a passion of mine. And then I ask the crowd, you know, what's, what are you passionate about? And, and very often they, when, once I serve the question, you know, I'm standing at the front of the room behind the mic and I see the sea of faces and then I can recognize, Ooh, they don't have an answer to that question. And they just realize for themselves, they don't know what they're passionate about. So then when we get to the question of what's your purpose, we know they're not going to have an answer to that. If you don't know what you're passionate about, you probably don't aren't going to have an idea of what your purpose is. So I will always, so that presentation always has three sources of meaning. And then I talk about purpose. And I ask the crowd, how many of you think you know your purpose? Think you've discovered your purpose? And I would say, if I had to estimate, I'm going to guess that two to four percent maybe oh wow that's lower than i thought yeah it's shocking now maybe yeah. they maybe they after hearing me distinguish purpose maybe they're like maybe i don't know my purpose after all right but it's it's a small number john yeah yeah i i thought it was small i that's smaller than i i thought as i said um and and i i wonder you know i'm an emotion geek so i'm always kind of bringing this stuff back to emotion and in speak in working with a lot of men over the years we men are not very emotionally aware and you know i think the average person can name three emotions in their body when it occurs and it's something like you know happy sad mad <laughs> but it strikes me that you know kind of this whole conversation of meaning and purpose really requires the ability to feel some positive emotions and be aware of them if you are to know what you are passionate about so mm. that you know what your meaning is Mm -hmm. Agreed. And if we don't have the requisite emotional awareness, aren't we kind of screwed? 
Uh, well, I wouldn't say screwed, but I would say, you know, in a limited position. So one of the, I got to say two things to what we're talking about here. Thank Such you for great, clarifying my absolute talk. Yeah, no worries. It's great. <laughs> um, so one of, in one of the other books that I'm coming out now is called Coloring Life, How Loss Invites Us to Live a More mm. Vibrant Life. One of the things I talk about in that book, John, is it's it's a story about losing both of my parents 28 days apart and what I learned about living from that loss. And one of the things I talk about is, um, you know, in the whispers of wisdom in the second part is to talk about loss. And I, I say that in, in, in the reason that that's hard for most of us to do just to talk about loss, let alone purpose and meaning, is that we don't have a vocabulary for it. We don't have a, we don't have a very rich vocabulary period about emotions in general. Now, if you live in South America or Latin America, that's not true. They do. That's one of the reasons I loved. And that's why I call myself a Latina convertida. A converted Latina because I grabbed that culture and, and poured it into myself. I love that. But most of us, you know, North American people, maybe Northern European people, have a, a more limited capacity to really distinguish our emotions. So if I were to ask a man, what do you find exhilarating in life? They might go, I don't know, speed in a car. I don't know. No. Um, but but what what brings what what's what brings you to awe, a state of awe? You know, and some people wouldn't be able to find that, right? So I think you're right. So the what I do also, like you, is I'm helping people to expand their repertoire and their experiential openness to 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 experience more of this fuller spectrum of human emotion. You know, when you're you're not just sad, you're like depraved. You know, you're at the bottom of your bucket. You know, like anguish anguish you know existential crisis you know what you know on the other end you're just so elated you can't stand it right and so i think you're right when we can when we can start to recognize and get people to access the that more seek nuanced um, and expanded spectrum of emotion yes i think we can then open them to more of their path to meaning which can ultimately lead them to their purpose thank you right. thank you i think it's an excellent answer i i'm always looking at what are the what are the barriers to change in these areas? And I, I think, you know, one of the big ones, the one of the first ones right off the bat is a lack of self-awareness. That we're just not aware internally. We're not aware of how we influence or impact other people. We're not aware of our values. We're not aware of our emotions. We're not aware of our thoughts. And until you get that addressed, like you're just kind of an automaton. <laughs> you're a creature of habit. Oh, so in my Purpose Ignited book, that's the black book behind me that you mentioned earlier, um, that's really a book that is out to awaken the readers to their passion and their purpose and start them down the path of becoming an inspirational leader. So agree with you that self-awareness is critical. What, what's important to me? How am I showing up in the world? How am I impacting other people? What matters to me? What do I care about? So that book is really designed to awaken the walking dead. And I've been a member of the walking dead. I had a card. I, I've done it. So I'm not judging or faulting it. It's yeah. just, but how can we it's surpass where we all start. it? Right. It's, I don't know why we fall asleep in life, but we do. Yeah. We get on the hamster wheel and we go around and around and pretty soon we, we do have no we idea. We're supposed to be doing. Yeah, exactly. And, and so I am so out to help people discover their gusto, their passion. Why, what lights you up from the inside that you can help and serve with to help elevate the world. So, yeah. Um, you know, and that's part of the reason why when I'm out when I'm out speaking and I get I ask that question, what are you passionate about? Most people don't have an answer. Yeah. That's why, because they they stepped on the hamster wheel and they're they're successful, they're getting through life, they're raising their kids, everything's happening. But in the process, they lost their heartbeat and their soul. Yeah. So let me ask you this. What does meaning do for us? Or to put it more bluntly, why should I give a shit about meaning? I'm going through <laughs> life, I'm making, you know. $400,000 a year as a commercial real estate VP. Why should I care about meaning? Well, um, if we put, we go through the logotherapeutic lens that meaning is our chief concern in life, um, it's pretty important. Um, you know, if you look at, if you look where logotherapy came from, it came from Dr. Viktor Frankl. And Dr. Viktor Frankl spent three years in the Holocaust camps during World War II, four different camps. He went into those camps and he lost with his wife and his parents he exited alone he lost his his wife and both his parents and what he he went into the camps with his manuscript that really said that you know having a finding meaning and having a, a will to meaning is what keeps us alive they took that manuscript from him when he was in the camps he recreated it with or scraps of paper emerged and ultimately published several books but what he found was when people lost the will to meaning they generally fell over and died 
And that's why, by the way, when people oftentimes retire from their work, they don't last very long. Yep. It literally will keel over in just you know two to five years. Is the is the, is the, that's why one of the things I address in Purpose United is don't retire. Whatever you do, yeah. you know you don't you maybe have to make money again, but be of service. Yeah, have so, meaning in some capacity. It's right, huge. and it's it's huge. And so you know what? So what what we know, and this goes back to the story of how I got into meaning is consuming life, making a pile of money, whatever it is. So maybe that's meaningful to you because now you feel you've got a sense of security. Maybe that is meaningful to you because you overcome something. But if if that is all it is for you, there's probably more opportunity for you to find that meaning. Because what we know from logotherapy is that when we serve other people, then we get into that state of of really self-transcendence. And that state of self-transcendence is where we get the vitality. And that's where we're able literally to better ward off diseases, you know, psychologically, physically, everything, right? So the meaning stuff, and that's why more and more, John, people are stewarding. There's actually work. My, I've got a partner um, in my book tour called Joy Elite. They're stewarding the, the the emotion of joy inside workplaces because it's elevational. It changes the chemicals in your brain. So there's there's just so much around this that you could, it's hard to argue against meaning. Yeah, well, and I think the other things that we mentioned early on that you mentioned were that having meaning and purpose gives you energy, vitality, vigor. Absolutely right. And I, I mean, it, you know, and I know like 10, 15 years ago when I was going through divorce, which was kind of the hardest couple of years of my life at that point, I find great meaning in my work. And I found that my work was buoying me even when my personal life was in shambles. Me too. Me too. No question. And I, I can't overstate the value of that. The other thing you mentioned was self-transcendence. And there is research that shows that the self-transcendent values are the ones that lead us to more happiness and more more fulfillment in life, more life satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that's where I also came to this idea that serving others is in many ways the preeminent value. Well, we're wired for service. We're social animals and we are wired to matter. You know, I don't think I don't think anybody. It, you know, goes through life going, geez, I'm going to stay under the radar. I hope nobody notices I'm here. That's you know? just people in HR. <laughs> Sorry, that's a little. Who said that? Corporate joke. On air, who said that? <laughs> <laughs> um, so let me ask you this because you do a lot of work in business and consulting in businesses and bringing meaning and purpose into business. How does activating meaning and purpose make good business sense? If I'm a CEO, why should I care? Boy, I hope I convinced you of that when I wrote The Great Revitalization. That's what that book is all about. So what I what I really set out there is I really helped in part one. I it, So it's written around the GUSTO NOW sort of acronym. And so the first and that's part your is, framework, is, correct? That's my framework, GUSTO. Yeah, GUSTO NOW. But the first part really does lay out, hey, look, guys, I hate to tell you this, but I know a lot of things have changed a lot and you haven't really been able to keep up with it. But let me let me just lay it out for you. And I do talk about how you know, people do crave meaning and purpose. And if they don't get it at work, they're not going to stay there. So that's part of it is that, you know, if you want, if you want a workforce, which I think you probably do, then you do need to find a way to create an environment that that, that we're in, in which they can find meaning in their work. And there's a way to do that through your managerial and your leadership practices. Uh, so that's, the, that's the first thing. And the second thing is, when you know when you can get people to feel like their work matters they're going to give more of that discretionary effort they're going to persevere they're going to tell more people about the cool place they work at and you're going to want to stick around so that's you know that's recruitment that's performance that's retention i mean very hard to argue with these things um and then if you can help them understand you know one they're going to buy into your purpose why does that your organization exist and why should anybody care it's not printing money by the way that's not why they care and so if they can, if you can get to see how they align with that purpose, now they feel by being a part of your organization, you have, you have expanded their person. Everybody wants to be part of something bigger than themselves. Almost everybody does. Yeah. So there's so many ways that this, again, this makes so much business sense to do. And more and more organizations are doing this. Um, and so in the second part of the book, then I go further and I, and I talk about, I think it's 21 best practices in the now part of it. One, some are built around IQ, just, you know, evaluating your processes and throwing out the ones that actually remove the solar human beings and embrace emotional intelligence, you know, lead, you know, care about your people. What a concept. And then the last chapter is 
is, is spiritual intelligence. More and more organizations are actually measuring the SQ, the spiritual quotient inside their organization. And so it is fascinating. So that's that's best best in class stuff that I'm out to help compel organizations to, to do and to embrace. Then as a conscious capitalist I'm on the board of that organization, I believe in those principles. I think it's so obvious and a no-brainer, but not everybody sees it or knows about it. Yeah. And I mean, my I, my mind went three different ways when you were talking. Um, but I I wanted to ask this question because I recall speaking with a CEO and suggesting he read Brene Brown's Dare to Lead, <clears throat> which I think is an excellent book. And he said, you know, I think he looked at it and he was like, isn't that hippy dippy shit? <laughs> I'm not surprised. Yeah. And he listened to his own fear and he never came back. Mm-hmm. And, and by doing so, he continued or continues his ineffective reign of intimidation and terror at his company, mm-hmm. which I believe severely hamstrings productivity. It does. And yeah. so what do you say to CEOs or leaders who are still embracing this sorely outdated fear-based command and control style of leadership? First question I have is how's that working for you? Yeah. Are people sticking around? Do you have creative, do you have creative creativity and innovation in your organization? When was the last That's time that one, yeah. right? When was the last time that your team really came together and surprised you with something magnificent? Hmm. Can't remember a time. You know, so so I I, I I talk about that in the in the EQ section, EQ chapter of the book is being able to, you know, some of the best leaders. And then I I would look at, I ask them, who do, who do they admire? What kind of leaders do they admire? They start they admire you know, people that have like devastated the planet kind of thing. Then I, we can see what their value system is, right? Now we know what they value. Um, and, and, and I think then from there, when we start looking at the, the command and control structure is so clearly outdated. In fact, next week on my radio show, I've got people coming on that wrote a book about um, leadership. It is about involving everyone. It's about mobilizing people to, uh, you know, to something that you want, that they, you know, that's important. But if you can enroll everybody in a leadership role, not not assume a singular leader, now you have something to work with. And this really um, changed world that we live in today that's so dynamic and so fluid. And that goes way up against the command and control sort of old structure. Right. Yeah, that paramilitary from the top down style of leadership. It just, I, I see the results because I, I talk to people throughout the organizations, some of these organizations, and it's just heartbreaking where, you know, people are walking on eggshells. They're afraid to speak up. They, when they do speak up, they get yelled at or insulted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just lose huge pieces of your employees. Hmm. Ooh. So then, what I, where I'd go next is I'd say because you know, you're right. So so those people then are now they're not only are they not contributing their whole person. That means you're not getting their creativity, their new ideas, their their capacity to better solve your problems. But I'll bet your your premiums and your your health costs for that organization are higher than other people in the yeah. same. So you can start looking at those things. So you know, if, tell me about what you're spending on healthcare. So I had a gentleman on my on my radio show. Dr. Scott Connard, and he's out to be able to help inculcate um, well-being and mental health inside organizations, not just to cultivate and improve their health lives, but also to reduce their 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 spend on premiums and you know out of out of pocket costs. And the way that he's you know so he's encouraging this whole notion of you know mental health and well-being inside companies for that very reason, John, to reduce the spend on healthcare and to create a more vibrant, healthy workplace. Oh, the other thing I wanted to get back to was the. Uh, would you go over the Gallup engagement polls, the numbers? Uh, you mean I, of, I think of, I of engagement? Ten, okay. fifteen. Yeah, how, like what percentage of the workforce is actively engaged in work? What is yeah. you know act, somewhat disengaged, and how many are actively disengaged? Yeah, I don't have those memorized, but I've been I can I can ballpark it. So okay, um, I, I don't so, think they've changed much actually. The no, they they years. they haven't. But it used to. So it's been a very much something like you know only. Well, something like only like 18 to 22% of people are actively engaged. That means that they are looking for ways to come through for you. They're looking for ways to, to make you win as an organization. They're pulling all their talents out. They're persevering. They're you know going the extra mile kind of thing. That's actively engaged. And then there's um, another, say, call it, you know, 25 or 
percent that might be engaged. They're they're doing what they need to do. They're doing well, but they're just not killing it. Then there's the, the people that are disengaged that just really don't like what they're doing, and they're they're occupying a place in your organization in exchange for that paycheck. Mm-hmm. They're counting the time when they can actually leave your 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 facility. And I think that is something like um, my numbers are probably not going to. You tell me where I am for numbers, but I think that number is like. 25% as well. So I, people, I thought that middle band was 50% combined. So yeah, yeah. I think you're right. And, and then there's a, there's a group. The last is people that are actively disengaged. These are the people that you, you need to know about and move them on. They're, they're telling people how bad you are, what a horrible place this is to work. They're bringing others into an organization, you know, into the water cooler conversation about, did you see what this guy does? This is so terrible, whatever. So they're, they are literally actively working against you to bring you down and they're still you're still paying them to do that. Yeah, and that's about thirty percent, give or take. And and they also are engaging in things like shrinkage or can be engaged yeah. in things like shrinkage, corporate espionage. Um, right. Like the costs are enormous. They are, and that goes and, back to not paying attention, right? If you're not aware or have your finger on the pulse of what's going on in your organization, this this stuff is happening right under your very gaze. Yeah. Uh, the other question I have, and I don't know that you have an answer to this, but I've been wrestling with this with a lot of clients lately is the the layoffs <clears throat> that have taken place in the tech industry in particular and how that impacts the emotional quality of those that have left obviously but those who remain maybe less obviously and how it undermines that feeling of safety and security in these corporations and everyone that i talk to seems to be running around like a chicken with their head cut off with this sympathetic nervous system fight flight freeze fawn uh, that system's in high gear. No one's really leading. No one's really thinking clearly. And it, it's, it feels like chaos at some level. Mm. Gosh, it is chaos. It's horrible. And, you know, it, and, and so if you're, if, and I've, I, I have a woman that I work with that I coach that she's, she's still, and she's record, she fully recognizes this. She has been working in a riff um, mentality culture for 15, 20 years. And, and it teaches it teaches you to cover your derriere and it teaches you to figure out how to make sure, you know, and avoid the shrapnel. That's what that does. It, it yeah, conditions you to do that. Right. Don't take a risk. Don't put your neck out. So. So in organizations, you know, there's a way to let people go with dignity and respect. And and most organizations don't do that. But the better ones do. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, if you're in this whole thing of, you know, we're, we're going to cut your we're going to just cut you right off. You're going to be walked out of the parking lot kind of thing. You know, all, you're just producing to your point that, that, that mentality of fight or flight and, and then to do whatever it takes, even to, 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 to do behaviors, to behave in a way that actually hurts people that you work with and your organization to preserve your own place. It's just, it's, it so works against every poll. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a tough environment out there right now. Um, so let's flip to the positive. And <laughs> okay. One of the um, one of the questions I wanted to ask and get your opinion on was, what does an inspirational leader look like to you? Like, what traits go into making an inspirational leader, as far as your experience shows? Yeah. So I so what I really teach in my program, grab your gusto, is first to get you know aware of and turned on by your own your own passion. So uh, an inspirational leader first has to be turned on themselves. They have to be excited about their own lives and what they're up to. First and foremost, that's job number one. And that means, to your earlier point, they need to know who they are and they need to know what matters to them and they need to be living and pursuing those things. So ayahuasca. <laughs> Sounds good. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. <laughs> A lot of CEOs seem to go in that direction, microdosing, ayahuasca, acid, right, right. <laughs> MDMA, whatever. Sorry. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> gotten funny again um all right so um so yeah so the first thing is they've got to be turned on by their own lives i mean somebody that's literally like going through the motions and you know just like getting through the getting through the day that's they're never going to be inspiring so it doesn't mean they need to be you know bigger than life charismatic and you know the the center of of the stage or anything but from their their own feeling like life is good i'm up to something that's important to me that's the first thing. And then the second thing that makes that really goes into an inspirational leader is being able for them to be able to, to articulate the vision of where their organization is going and why it's important. 
that's inspiring for to be able to share a message like that so people understand, wow, that's where we're going. That's great. I can get up this morning for that. Um, and then the other thing that really helps to be an inspirational leader is to be to be able to recognize the greatness in your team and communicate that to, to them in such a way that they feel so compelled to realize that vision. Right. Those are all things that go into being an inspirational leader. And um, I had Stephen M. R. Covey on my show a few months ago. I can't remember when. Of course, he's the trust and inspire guy. But he and of course his father talk about leadership in that way too. It's it's very much about communicating someone's worth and potential in such a way that they can't resist trying to work to realize it. So, you know, when somebody believes you in you in that way, that's very inspiring and cast a, a vision of where you and the organization that you're working with and for is going. That's the inspiring kind of thing that is that meaning back in the second source of meaning that is so compelling and so energizing and so motivating. Yeah, thank you for that answer. That was excellent. And it, it, it makes me think I'm always struck by how many of the tools that I teach apply to all contexts in life. For instance, you know, like when you were talking, uh, it made me think of, you know, practicing appreciation and gratitude for small things often with your partner. And you can, it's the same thing you were talking about with a CEO, an inspirational leader with their executive team, for example, it's just expressing gratitude and appreciation. And the same thing with your kids when you're parenting, tell them what they're doing good, catch them being good. And, And so I'm always reminding the CEOs that I talk to, like, this works really well in your organization. And oh, by the way, you need to try this with your wife as well, assuming, you know, heterosexuality and that he's male. Um, and, you know, if they have kids, like you need to try this with your children as well. Because I, I think one of the th- the disconnects I see is that there's a lot of good training going on for executives and leaders in corporations, but a lot of times they don't make the jump to bring those same tools home, mm. which is fascinating to me. It's funny. I, I I have for all the years that I've been doing this work inside organizations, almost always I tell them, look, everything you're going to learn here, you can take home with you, and I want you to take it home with you. And and very often they they tell me that, gosh, you know, I had this conversation with my wife for the first time in 20 years, and I actually all these things that I was assuming I, I had I had wrong, right? So I love that when it, and it's true. It's so true that I'll, well, I work in. You know, I guess I certainly do work in more of the soft skills space. So arguably, you know, you should be able to port that anywhere in your life, right? Yeah. To your dog, every, everywhere. Um, but yes, I, I do. I, I tell people that at, at the outset. Yeah, I knew there was a reason I loved you. <laughs> um, so let me ask you this as we're kind of winding down the last five minutes or so. How do we get more meaning in, in our lives? Like, is there anything that we haven't touched on or any tips or tools? Yeah. Well, I, I really, I think, I think that meaning needs to occur for you with just like brushing your teeth, drinking water, sleeping, taking vitamins, eating, eating well and exercising. I should be on that level. It's that, it's that vital. And so, you know, I gave you the three sources of meaning at the beginning of the show. So your opportunity is to, is to be, is to go looking for those, to be present to them, to give yourself over to your passion, to look for things that inspire you and, 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 you know, expose yourself to that so that you get that vital source of meaning in, infused in you. Um, and you do those sort of things and you can't help but be better turned on. You just can't help it. It will happen naturally. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so is there anything that I didn't ask you that I should have? Mm, I love that question. Um, well, you you talked about it before, but I do want to, I want to, I didn't get a chance to actually address this. It went around in my head and then I forgot to a let it fall out. A few things have gone around in my head. This fall, conversation. Fall, yes, fall, I totally feel you. <laughs> fall out of my mouth. Uh, what, what I, what I want to say is, you know, we talked about, you asked about how many people are actually, you know, have identified that they've discovered their purpose. And it's a small number. And um, I, I want to encourage, I guess what I want to be able to do is I want to invite more people into this meaning and purpose jam because it's it's a it's great company and, and it's pretty good for your health. But I want to I want to go back and hearken to something that Karen Hoyas said on my radio show. She's got a book out and I had her on a few years ago. She said in her book, and we talked about on air, she said only she said right now only one percent of the world is fully living their purpose. She said, when we get to 3%, and we will because people are working at this. She said, when we get to 3%, human consciousness will be raised such that peace is actually possible. Hmm. I think that's worth getting up for. I think that's worth working toward. And so, um, you know, when it comes down to why should I do this? She said before, why should anybody go for this meeting purpose stuff? 
you know, one, we can just make, we can radically make a difference with our lives if we, if we, if we do so through meaning and purpose. And it's good for our health. It's good for our relationships. You know, there's really, it's hard to, it's hard to argue against. Now, maybe your bank account, maybe, maybe it won't be as big as if you're, you know, pursuing a really big, huge thing. And then you have to ask yourself, is that really all, is that all, is that all that matters to you? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it gets back to kind of, loops back full circle to that idea of self-transcendent values and mm-hmm. serving others. Um, because I, I could see her comment of, you know, 3% leading to world peace. If, you know, the more people we get focused on others, serving others, and the less, the fewer people we have focused on, let's say self-focused goals or self-focused purpose, um, the better off we all are. Yeah, no question. So, you know, part of what I'm out to do, John, is was work with, you know, as young people as I possibly can to get them, one, to understand what their strengths are, and two, what makes them special and unique and, and from which they can serve. Because when they serve other people, they're just they're just going to be in a better place. They're probably gonna, they're probably not going to go down the, you know, the the crime route. They're probably not going to be they're going to be far less willing, willing to fall into the in, into drugs. You know, so when we when we can actually discover that early in life, that's part of what I'm trying to do with with my practice is reach more deeply into my communities and get more and more younger people on this trail more quickly than when they come to you when they're 40s, you know, 40s and 50s. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for the work you're doing. I greatly appreciate it. Likewise. Thank you. And where can people get a hold of you? Where can they find out more? Best place is just to go to my website, AliseCortez.com, A-L-I-S-E Cortez.com. You can find me on LinkedIn as well. Um, if you go to Amazon and do a search for my name, you'll find my books and my my radio show. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty easy to find. Fantastic. And I welcome well, welcome you to reach out. Yes. Thank you so much for your time today. I greatly appreciate it. Thanks for having me, John. You're a great host. Thank you. And and that is it for this episode of the Evolved Caveman Podcast. If you like this episode, Pardon me. If you like this episode, please feel free to like, to rate, review, and share. And if you didn't like it, you don't have to do a damn thing. Thanks so much for listening. (laughs) Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. If you like what you've heard, support us by subscribing, leaving reviews, and sharing the podcast with friends and colleagues. For the latest, most powerful tools to connect with like-minded men, join the Facebook group at The Evolved Caveman. Follow Dr. John on Instagram at The Evolved Caveman, all one word, or join the email list by visiting guidetoself.com. 